Cool. Mike is on. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. I'm Jamie. Hello. How is everyone? Okay. Awake, alive and well. That is good. Uh, I thought I'd start asking by asking a little bit of a personal question. So, sorry, I know we don't all know each other heaps well, but I'm going there. It's not that personal. When was the last time that you felt out of place? Uh, when you felt like you just didn't belong? I uh, don't know about you, but it seems to happen to me fairly often. I, I don't think it's just me. I think it's something we all experience from time to time. Um, I think it taps into our deep search uh, somewhere deep inside for um, real belonging. Um, so I thought I'd give you guys some examples that you may or may not find relatable. Uh, so here's one. Uh, a single guy at a dinner party uh, looks around at all his married friends, uh, playing board games, telling stories and laughing with each other. Uh, and this guy, he knows his friends uh, care for him, uh, but he just feels invisible, uh, like he's standing outside looking in through the window. Uh, or another one, a young couple uh, move to a big city uh, for their first kind of real big jobs out of uni. Uh, they move into a big apartment complex in an exciting part of town, thinking, this is it, we're going to live the sitcom dream. Uh, but in reality, they end up just feeling really isolated and they miss their friends back home. I don't know, have you ever felt that way? Uh, how about this one? Uh, after a heated argument and an icy drive to church, a married couple arrives in the church car park 10 minutes late and stressed to the max. Uh, they walk in the door and suddenly experience a miraculous transformation. Uh, someone asks how they're doing and they say, great, uh, with a big smile, uh, miraculous transformation. After church, as they talk with people over dinner, uh, they both feel kind of overwhelmed by that strange feeling of being alone in a crowd. Why do we do that kind of thing when we go out to groups, settings, you know, putting on masks? Well, today we're asking that question, where is it worth belonging? Uh, is there a place where we can truly belong and we can leave our masks at home? And what does God think is worth belonging to? I was thinking about it a bit this week and I realized that we kind of go through life belonging to all kinds of different communities, whether we mean to or not. Uh, so about 26 years ago, I was born into a community uh, called the Seafang family. Uh, and for better or worse, that will always be the case. Uh, other communities we belong to a bit more briefly. Uh, so apparently on average, Australians move about once every five years or so. Uh, so maybe we'll belong to a suburb for a chapter of our lives. Uh, we'll have friends in our workplaces while we're there. Um, so Aisha and I are neighbours uh, who we get on with uh, pretty well, I think. They've just put their house on the market and it's kind of a bit sad because we were sort of just getting to know them. And, um, but really it's just a normal part of life, isn't it? Uh, it can make it hard though to know where is it worth investing your relational energy. So uh, in the ever-changing mess of life, uh, where should we look to belong in a bigger way? Where is it worth investing? Uh, a guy called Hugh Mackay, he's a social researcher. Uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Belonging, which is a good read. Uh, let me read a little bit of what he has to say. I think that might be up on the screen. There, very good. Uh, we're not only defined but actually sustained by our social networks, he writes. We thrive on being part of a community, whether that's familial, social, residential, intellectual, cultural, political, religious, professional, or vocational. In the end, it makes no real sense no biological sense for us to dwell on our identity as individuals. That's not who we are. 
We're tribal, we're social, we're communal. We need to belong. So true, isn't it? We need to belong. And yet it's so hard too. We can often feel out of place. Uh, Hugh Mackay suggests that uh, this is because while on the one hand we're very interdependent, we kind of want the common good to be with others, uh, on the other hand we're also very independent, uh, seeking our own needs first. Uh, And he reckons that this sort of tension is one of the toughest tensions that we battle as human beings, interdependent and independent at the same time. Don't know what you think. How about belonging uh, and church, the local church? Uh, How about this little snapshot? A young Christian student uh, moves to a new city to study. Uh, She goes along to a local church after Googling for the churches in her area and finds one and goes along for the first time. Uh, She's nervous as anything. She walks in the door, sees the people inside talking to each other and thinks, do I belong here? I don't know, maybe that's you today. Uh, Or if it's not, when was the last time that you were new uh, to church Do you remember what it felt like? It can be pretty scary, right? I don't know. uh, To what extent do you currently feel like you belong here at TBE? Well, Lots of people today, I think, would agree uh, that if you're looking to belong, if you're looking to get along with other people, uh, it's better to steer clear of anything uh, to do with God. Uh, So a 2006 opinion poll in Britain told us what we all know already, Uh, which is when it revealed that 82% uh, of adults see religion as a cause of division and tension between people. Uh, Maybe you agree with that. Uh, Maybe you know that your decision to be here tonight uh, is maybe going to cause some conflict in your family. Uh, Well, today is all about why uh, God thinks that that is such a precious decision uh, to be here tonight. But we all do know that tension, right? Uh, You know, what topics are you meant to steer away from at a dinner party? Politics and religion, yeah. Uh, So can we seriously believe that a church like this uh, is really going to be a part of the solution to that age-old problem of belonging? We're an ordinary bunch. We've got our issues. And yet that's exactly what Paul asserts in this beautiful part of his letter to the Ephesians that we just heard read out by Lauren. Our decision to be here tonight uh, is so precious in God's sight. Uh, God's gathered people is really worth belonging to. Uh, So as we dive in uh, to Ephesians together, uh, let's uh, do a bit of context, think about where we're up to. We've kind of jumped in at chapter 2. Paul is writing this letter to the saints in Ephesus, so a group of Christians. Uh, He's spent most of the letter so far pointing them to these really majestic cosmic realities of what it means to be Christian. Uh, So just a few things from chapter 1. To be chosen by God before all time. uh, To be redeemed by the blood of Christ. Adopted into his family. And then in chapter 2 at the start, raised from death to life. Uh, Huge truths. Uh, He's lifted the Ephesians' eyes to the mystery of God's plan for the whole world. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 10, which is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Imagine that. No more chaos or conflict, just everything united under Jesus. And then when we pick up uh, in verse 11 of chapter 2, uh, things get a little bit more every day. Uh, Paul begins to address an issue that would have been all too familiar for his readers, a cultural tension between Jews and Gentiles. 
And it's here at the level of the local church that we see the unity that Christ died to bring between people. And it's here that we see the ultimate answer to our deep yearnings to belong. And it really leads to a huge paradigm shift uh, then and now. Uh, So tonight we're going to do a bit of, I guess, a bit of an evaluation of the church from this passage. And we're going to look at three reasons why the church is so valuable in God's sight. So the three headings we're going to look at, if you're taking notes, it'll be helpful to note down. Heading one is hate and hope. Uh, Heading two is cross and community. And then thirdly, we're going to look at some precious paradigms. Uh, So firstly, hate and hope. Paul is writing into a world very much like our own, where there's just so much misunderstanding and hate. Uh, Let's read back over uh, verses 11 and 12. So we're on page 1157 in your Bibles. Good to keep that open. Let's look at 11 and 12 together. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. If we're going to appreciate the cosmic significance of all that God's done for us in Christ, and if we're going to start to glimpse how the local church has something to do with that, we first need to remember where we'd be without Jesus, excluded from people and God in a world of intolerance and hate. Uh, The cultural world of ancient Ephesus is uh, very much like our own today in lots of ways. It was a really mixed bag. People didn't agree with how you should live your life, uh, about how to do that, or who the real God or gods were. Uh, Ephesus was famous for uh, its temple to the Greek goddess Artemis, uh, but there was also a large Jewish population there with lots of synagogues, so predictably, people didn't always get on so great. Uh, That word there in verse 11, uncircumcised, it's basically like a derogatory name uh, that Jewish people had for non-Jewish people, for Gentiles. But it all uh, wasn't one-sided though. On the flip side, uh, a Jewish writer from around the same time uh, called Josephus, he speaks of uh, Gentiles laughing at the circumcision of Jewish men. Uh, There was a real ill feeling between Jew and Gentile. Uh, It was so severe that just a few years before Paul travelled to Ephesus, uh, all the Jews had been thrown out from the city of Rome. Uh, You can read about that in Acts 18. You can imagine if that was going on in Rome, uh, it wouldn't have been too pleasant at all for Jewish people in Ephesus. Uh, But as the news about Jesus spread after his resurrection from the dead, people from all sorts of different cultural backgrounds were becoming Christian And just like us, they were children of their culture, so when they became Christian, they would have brought these kind of prejudices with them to church. Jews were used to hanging out with Jews. Gentiles were used to hanging out with Gentiles. It's just the way things were. And of course, this division is really just a drop in humanity's ocean of conflict, isn't it? Which leads us to consider the deeper issue, which is there for us at the end of verse 12. Have a look there, just the last little bit. Without hope and without God in the world. Why is there so much hate in the world? We're tribal, shouldn't we be able to get along? Yet it seems that at every point, globally, in our neighbourhoods, even our homes sometimes, it's a hopeless case. 
because the heart of the issue has roots as old as the human race. Because right from the start, human beings have made the decision to cut God out of the picture. And so we are without God in the world. Our most significant relationship is divided, and so that has consequences for all our other relationships as well. The ultimate consequence of being separated from our maker is that we die. And isn't death the ultimate divider? The beautiful truth of the gospel is that God is bringing everything to unity under Christ. He's remaking a broken world. We don't see the finished result yet, but according to God, there is one place you can go and see real peace. To church. To everyday churches in Ephesus, or Adelaide, or wherever. There you will meet people who are reconciled to God through Jesus. There you will see centuries of unrest dissolved as Jew and Gentile stand shoulder to shoulder. Uh, Today, if you go to the West Bank uh, in Palestine, one of the most politically tense parts of the world at the moment, you can meet Palestinians who once fought for the Palestinian Liberation Organization, distributing bread alongside Israelis, enemies now working together. Why? They've become Christians. Once they hated each other, now they're brothers in the same global family of God, working together in the cause of Christ. And just remember, if you look around this mixed bag here tonight, as God gathers his people together, uh, we can be a community of peace and hope. We can be a beacon of peace and hope. We are living proof that God is bringing all things under Christ. Now it's worth stopping and asking at this point, is this currently how you really feel about church? Life is busy. Church really can just feel like another item on the big checklist. And let's face it, we are broken people. Conflict is still real, even inside the church. I think something that we can all take away uh, from these verses is how important it is that we remember where we'd be without Jesus. Uh, As this little church in Ephesus struggles uh, to reflect in everyday life the cosmic realities of what God's done for them, Paul tells them, remember. Uh, It's pretty easy, isn't it, just to gloss over or forget how desperate our situation is, how much we need a saviour in Jesus. But praise God, he's done everything necessary to bring us back from death to life in Christ. Uh, Back on Easter Sunday, we received a bunch of response cards about why people were there on the day. We wanted to hear what people thought and that sort of thing. Uh, Something that one person wrote has really stuck with me since then. It was, so I don't forget what Jesus did for me. Isn't that a beautiful example of why getting together to hear from the Bible about Jesus uh, is so significant? Uh, Because we're forgetful creatures. Uh, If if we're going to be the people of hope and peace who we're saved to be, we need constant help uh, from each other and from God to remember the preciousness of the cross. Which is exactly where we get to in Heading 2. So here we are at Cross and Community. Conflict and disharmony are everywhere. We live in a broken world of insiders and outsiders where everyone's trying to muscle their way into the in crowd. And it all stems back uh, to our broken relationship with God. But that isn't the end of the story. The Bible really is the story of how God remakes this broken world. Uh, So in Genesis chapter 12, right back near the start, 
after people have already cut God out of the picture and all the division and hate that came as a result, God chooses a pagan wanderer by the name of Abraham and promises that through him, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Paul reminds this mixed bag here in Ephesus that in Jesus, this promise to Abraham to bring people back to God, back under his blessing, has been fulfilled. Verse 13, let's have a look together. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Why did Jesus have to die? Uh, So that those who are furthest from God can be brought near. And we know this uh, because one of the first people to know the power of the cross firsthand was a criminal, about as far away from God as you can imagine, with no ability to make up for his wrongs. Uh, He was the guy on the cross next to Jesus. And yet he recognizes Jesus as the king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, he says, some of his last words. Jesus answers, today you will be with me in paradise. With Jesus, the far away, brought as near as you can get in an instant when he recognizes who Jesus is and asks for his help. The cross is the ultimate leveler. It cuts across all our categories of what we might expect, near and far away, religious, not religious, you name it. It's the ultimate Berlin Wall moment. And we're told three times in this passage that the result is peace. Uh, So, in verse 14, he himself is our peace. Uh, Verse 15, uh, thus making peace. Uh, Verse 17, he came and preached peace. What does this peace look like exactly? What's it all for? Uh, Let's have a look at the second half of verse 15 as we explore that. Uh, His purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity out of the two. This was always Jesus' purpose. Not just a sense of inner peace or peace between individuals and God, but a new unified humanity. In John chapter 12, after many predictions of his upcoming death and brushes with persecution, Jesus announces that finally the time has come for him to go to his cross. Does anyone know Uh, What triggers him to say this? A little bit of an impromptu quiz. What prompts Jesus to say the time has come? Anyone? Gentiles? Yes, yes, some Greeks come looking for Jesus. Uh, The whole world uh, has gathered to Jesus, and so it is time for him to die, drawing all people to himself, even the far away. Why did Jesus have to die? To save individuals like you and me from our sin? Absolutely, yes. Praise God for that. But his purposes are even bigger than that. It's to create in himself one new humanity so that all people with all our differences can be saved into this new community where all cultural barriers are torn down. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? The wall has fallen. Jesus' death has ensured it. I reckon this has huge implications for us today. Because our lives are just so full of categories, aren't they? Jew, Gentile, male, female, married, single, old, young, popular, unpopular. The list goes on. I think the challenge for us as part of God's 
new recreated humanity here at TBE uh, is to let the reality of the cross undermine, dilute and destroy every other cultural category that might hinder our unity together here. Now, of course, to some extent, it makes complete sense uh, that we're naturally going to be shaped by our culture here. Uh, But imagine a community where anyone can belong, regardless of those things. As God's new humanity, uh, we need to be ready to welcome and love people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Social backgrounds in terms of sexual orientation, how much money they have, how educated they are, you name it. Christ died to break down barriers. It raises the question for us, are there currently any categories of people who you'd prefer not to see at church or who you find yourself avoiding contact with over dinner and things like that? We're children of our culture, so I'm sure there are. Uh, A great question that we can ask then is, how does the fact that Jesus died for this person affect how I see them? It's part of being the one new humanity that God saved us to be. And I've got to say, I'm always so encouraged on Sundays uh, as I look around church and seeing all sorts of different people being welcomed and included. Uh, When we have dinner together, you know, I hardly ever see someone sitting by themselves looking lost. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, even though we are generally a bit younger in the evenings, uh, we still are a beautifully mixed bag. Uh, I love looking around here on Sundays and seeing people of different nationalities mixing, people at different stages of life Married people, single people, students, workers, all sorts of others. I reckon that's just a beautiful part of church. Uh, only at church do you get to see you know, high-flying executives stacking chairs because they want to help their community. Uh, or those with very few friends being accepted and included. Uh, those with little education coming to understand the deep things of God. So I really want to encourage all of us, myself included, uh, to keep working really hard to let the cross break down divides. Uh, In particular, there's a few situations I reckon we can think about a bit more. Uh, First one is, how easy is it uh, to slip back into our culture's insider-outsider way of thinking when someone that you haven't met before walks into church, especially if you're a bit shy, uh, to think, oh, that person's uh, a bit older than me, a bit younger than me. I'll let someone older talk to them or younger talk to them, whatever it might be. We need to be reminded, in Christ's new humanity, those categories don't matter. Uh, So can I encourage you tonight at dinner, uh, if there's someone you don't know well, who you haven't talked to much before, look for a chance to have a chat with them, maybe sit with someone you don't normally sit with. Uh, Second is, I reckon it's hard when uh, someone's hurt you in some way, especially if it's someone at church. Uh, How hard is it to extend the hand of forgiveness rather than glossing over what's happened or avoiding the person altogether? How does the cross impact how we think about that? And thirdly, I reckon it's easy to slip back into our kind of cultural comfort zones uh, when, it comes with, uh, when it comes to who we choose to hang out with outside of official church events. Uh, and that's why I think it's so cool. You know how Lachlan's been organizing these kind of get-togethers, unofficial TV social things, like he's done hiking trips and board game nights and things like that, uh, where everyone's invited? Uh, I just think that's awesome. Uh, How cool would it be uh, if all of us decided um, sometime in this kind of uni break, school holiday break, uh, to invite someone who's really different to us into our lives in some way, who we wouldn't normally hang out with, invite them around or or out somewhere. 
Uh, yeah, really encourage all of us to think about that. If, if you've got some time off, uh, can I encourage you to put one or two spots uh, in your diary where you can plan to hang out with someone from church who you don't normally hang out with? Uh, or if you don't have holidays, uh, which is sad, but uh, the reality for many, uh, I reckon finding one spot a month where you kind of have a night or a day sometime on a weekend where uh, you can have that time to invite different people into your home or out to brunch or whatever it might be, I think that would be a beautiful thing. Uh, what a great way of expressing the reality uh, that Christ is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. The cross really is the great wrecking ball that's crashed through all those categories that divide and estrange us. And the result is a massive paradigm shift. Uh, So we're up to heading three, precious paradigms. The consequences of the cross are huge. Uh, Let's have a look at them in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the, as the chief cornerstone. The paradigm shift is that there is now one reality that defines everything about who we are. We're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens, God's household. This is what's available to anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. We look at life belonging and belonging through all kinds of different paradigms, some more helpful than others. I don't know, what kind of lens do you use to make sense of your life at the moment? Uh, I've been reading this book uh, called Wisdom in Leadership, uh, and it has a chapter about family in it uh, that helpfully outlines a dilemma that I think we all have. Um, the author Craig Hamilton points out that we often find our sense of identity in priorities but then struggle to have the time to live out those priorities in reality. Uh, So, you know, um, my priority list might be that first I'm a Christian, then I'm a husband, then a son, brother, friend, a minister in training, a musician, a casual jogger. Uh, The list sort of goes on like that. Um, But, you know, who am I when I'm out doing the groceries? You know, I've got to do that, but am I being a son at that point, even though it's such a high priority for me? Uh, Or for many of us, how does the fact that we spend most of our weeks working or studying and not at church, how does that influence how we view ourselves as Christians and members of the church? So we kind of have this tension between priorities and time. And the result is that we end up juggling a lot of different categories and we're kind of going from category to category over time. The cross shifts everything for us. Rather than letting time be the constant driver and trying to fit all our priorities in under that, uh, we now have one simple constant that needs to shape everything. God's plan from before time began. Chapter 1, verse 10 again, God is working to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the reality. Uh, The verses that we've been looking at tonight uh, show us the glorious reality of what life looks like through the paradigm of the cross the one reality that controls all others. The consequence is, for all of us struggling to find belonging in this world, uh, we can find genuine belonging in the church because of Jesus in God's recreated humanity. When reconciliation with God is found, human community begins to be actively rebuilt in very everyday ways. Uh, It's a natural consequence 
It's what Jesus died to achieve. But again, hang on. If we're honest, isn't church just a little less glamorous than all that? How do we reconcile what Paul seems to be saying here about the church with the everyday experience of coming to church, being on rosters, filling in for people, sitting in blue chairs for an hour or two each week? I don't know. What, what words would you use to describe this church? Oh, you don't have to tell me. What kind of, what kind of words would you use? Um, let's zoom in on a couple of the words that Paul uses to describe how God sees his church, his saved people. Firstly, verse 19 Uh, Just their fellow citizens with God's people, fellow citizens. Uh, How valuable is citizenship? Well, there are currently a lot of people in the world who really know the true worth of it. Going to desperate measures, fleeing their countries, risking their lives uh, for the chance to belong to a peaceful country. I don't know, have you met someone here in Australia who's gone through some of those lengths to be here? Uh, There are some incredible stories out there. And I think incredible opportunities to welcome and care, not just to here, but into God's kingdom. Uh, But if you're a Christian, your new identity in Christ means that you're a citizen of God's kingdom, which means you're no longer primarily Australian or Chinese or South African or Japanese or, I don't know, where else are people from? You know, UK, there you go. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. (laughs) The paradigms have shifted, though. You're Christian first and foremost. How does knowing that we're citizens of God's kingdom affect how we think of getting together like this in this very everyday kind of way? Uh, Here's one thing that comes to mind for me. Uh, When I come to church, I'm served in so many different ways. Uh, So just tonight, uh, someone's been here early to unlock the building. Uh, The music team's been practicing uh, all afternoon to help us sing. You have, right? (laughs) Yeah, sounding good. Uh, I've been welcomed in. Someone's put out chairs so that we can sit down without falling on the floor. Um, What else has happened? Leaflets are down on the chairs. Uh, People are out in the kitchen preparing dinner for us so that we can eat together. Uh, I've been offered a coffee, although I was far too caffeinated to accept it. Sorry, Tim, (laughs) but thank you. Uh, I follow the words on the PowerPoint as we sung together. I've been given a microphone so I don't have to yell at you guys. I've been served in lots of different ways. Uh, if you're involved in any of these kind of things, not, just, not to mention just the act of turning up, of making the effort to be here and say hi, uh, you'll know that serving in these sort of ways can feel pretty dreary, uh, often quite thankless. But remember how God sees what you're doing. You're serving citizens of his kingdom. How precious is that? Citizens. Next Words, members of his household, that's there in verse 19 as well. Members of his household, it's family language. Uh, We are literally God's family members because of Jesus. We live in a very broken world where family can so often be quite a painful thought. And yet God gives anyone who puts their faith in Jesus the privilege of being part of his family. Imagine a family with no hostility where reconciliation is always possible. That is who God saved us to be. It's who is remaking us to be. Which means that even someone who has absolutely no family relationships around them or no good family relationships around them can find true belonging uh, in this world, in the church. How does this paradigm shift, knowing that we're members of God's family, affect how we think about this very everyday act of getting together? I think it's quite a challenge for us. We live in a 
pick and choose kind of world where we're almost encouraged to reduce belonging down to just going to things to get something out of it and then going back home. But belonging to God's new humanity uh, is belonging to family. It's a lot bigger than that. Uh, there are a bunch of implications for us as we wrap our heads around, around sort of how much God values the church. I think one thing is that getting together for a couple of hours on Sunday is really just a small part of family life. It's a small part of a much bigger picture. But also, um, meeting together like this uh, is such a precious family event. And like all family events, uh, if you miss it, it doesn't mean that you're not part of the family anymore. And yet, if someone's missing from a key family event, uh, we know everyone feels it, right? Uh, It really matters that you're here. Uh, We are fellow citizens, family members. Uh, The church is so precious to God. Uh, And finally, we've got to be built on the foundation of Christ. That's there in verse 20. Built on the foundation of Christ and those who proclaimed his message and wrote it down in the New Testament, the apostles. Verse 22, we're being built by God's spirit. This is what we have to be built on and by. Church isn't about a nice building, as lovely as this building is. Uh, Buildings can be useful, uh, but church is about the message of Jesus, his death for sinners and people being built together by the spirit of God. Uh, I know that many of us know this. Um, But it's something that we should never let become assumed knowledge. Uh, God's new humanity is built on God's word by God's spirit, on the apostolic message of Jesus that we have in the Bible. Uh, That's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we hear the Bible read every week and preached on. Uh, It really should be the highlight of getting together. It's what we're built on. Church isn't first and foremost about hanging out with friends over a common interest, Uh, It's about the cross, which breaks down the barriers of race, gender, interests, and most importantly, between people and their God. Uh, So for me personally, uh, before I was a Christian, I probably would have said my identity uh, was summed up as a muso and the kind of music and art that I was into. And I generally only hung out with people who were into the same sort of music as me in the same kind of scene. Uh, I still love those people and talking about those things. But now, one of the things I love most about church is that I get to have genuine loving friendships with people who are just so different from me, who don't even know the bands that I'm into. Imagine that. (sighs) On the surface, it might seem like we have nothing to talk about, but we share the same deep foundation, Jesus and his death for us. Finish with a couple of snapshots about what this huge paradigm shift could look like for people. Uh, So a student moves over from China to study. After not really meeting anyone for a while, someone invites him to a local church. He finds out about Jesus there and becomes a Christian. Uh, A year later, he reflects that though he really misses home, uh, he's so grateful for his church family. Uh, Praise God that someone invited him. People talked to him when he came to church. People had meals with him, answered his questions, helped him to settle into life in Adelaide and took the time to read God's word with him. So grateful for his church family. Another one, a girl from a Muslim family in London uh, went to a local church and began to follow Jesus. As a consequence, she became estranged from and threatened by her family. Uh, However, one of the elders at her church uh, gave her a home and then gave her away on her wedding day. 
the church had become her family. Beautiful snapshots of the reality that Christ died to make possible. Uh, Let me remind you of that quote from Hugh Mackay again. In the end, it makes no real sense, no biological sense for us to dwell on our identity as individuals. That's not who we are. We're tribal, we're social, we're communal. We need to belong. God is bringing all things together to unity under Christ. That's the reality. Because of his death, we have what we need. Uh, We belong. That's what makes uh, belonging to a part of God's global family so valuable. That's why your decision to be here tonight uh, means so much to God. Uh, We're not perfect by any stretch, uh, but as the local church here at TBE, God is remaking us uh, into a community of peace in the world as God continues to reconcile people to himself and to each other through the cross of his Son. I'm going to pray a prayer now uh, for us. It comes from Ephesians 3, that Paul prays for the Ephesians. Uh, Funnily enough, it's quite a fitting prayer that we'll come to appreciate more of the significance of what Jesus has done for our lives as a community of God's people. Uh, So please, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen our hearts with all power through your Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of your fullness. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.